Good morning, church. How we doing? So good to see you this morning. I hope you guys are having a great weekend. If I haven't met you, my name's Kyle. I'm the college pastor uh, here at ABC, and so glad to have y'all with us. Uh, and you, if you've been with us recently, you know that we've been walking through a series uh, that we've been calling Foundations, uh, looking at who we are and what we do as a church. And we're going to be continuing that series today. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be in a couple places today. Uh, but we're going to begin at the, the, at the end of Acts chapter 2 and go from there. But in this series, we've been looking at really three specific things. We've been looking at the gospel story. Well, really, we've been saying the gospel is a gospel that saves us, shapes us, and sends us. We talked the gospel story, talked about the gospel message. Last week, Jared did a phenomenal job talking about the gospel community. And today, we're going to look at the last bit of this series, talking about the gospel mission. But in 1961, uh, in the summer, the Green Bay Packers had just come off of a really embarrassing defeat in the NFL championship game. And so they're beginning summer training in 1961. They're ready to get to work. And their coach, Vince Lombardi, walks into the room for their first meeting. And, you know, the players no doubt ex expect him to give them a new game plan for all the great things they're going to do, all the new techniques they're going to implement uh, to overcome last season. But instead of doing those things... Coach Lombardi walks up to the front of the players. He grabs a football, holds it up, and says, Gentlemen, this is a football. And these are experienced, professional, paid football players. They know what a football is, right? But his point was, Gentlemen, we're getting back to the basics. And he began from that point to start talking about, Okay, this is how we block. And this is how we tackle. I know very little about football, so I can really can't go past that. But he went through the basics and began to go through there. But his point was, Gentlemen, we're going back to the basics. And what, however they felt in that meeting, however maybe dumb they felt they were being called in that, in that meeting that day, it worked because six months later they defeated the Giants 37 to nothing in the NFL championship game. So in their case, the basics worked. So here, as we're in a new season of transition here at ABC, I know that it can be very easy for us to become very inward focused and to lose track of why we exist and what we seek to do as a church. And this is absolutely a time for us to want to love each other well, to seek to care for each other well, to be unified as a church. And Jared led us so well in that last week. But as we talked about, even with Jared at the end of the message, that our community is never an end to itself, right? That gospel community compels us and should always lead us to gospel mission. That gospel community always should lead us to gospel mission. So today, I want us to consider this maybe a gentleman, this is a football kind of Sunday. Where we get back to the basics of why we exist as a church, what is our mission as a church, and how we can move forward and lean into that mission today. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what is the mission of the church. And so to do that, we're going to look at a couple of different texts, but I want us to begin at the end of Acts chapter 2 and really see a description of the first Christians, of the first church, and what were they known for? How, how were they written about? So if you'll read with me, we're going to be in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. It says this, And they, they being the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together 
and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it gives us clarity and direction for who your people are to be. We ask for your spirit to work in our hearts today, Father. Lord, may you compel us to see the call you have given us as followers of Christ, the call you've given us as a church, Lord, to go and make disciples of all nations, to love those uh, that you've put in front of us, Father, to be known as people who are full of compassion for those who don't know you, full of compassion for those that are in need, Lord. Lord, may you speak to us today through your word. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so if you look at Acts 2 for just a second, I want to point out a couple of things that are really important for us to notice about how the first Christians were known. Notice that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right, to the teaching of God's word. They devoted themselves to fellowship, which is a lot more than Baptist casseroles in a you know, dining hall, which I love that kind of fellowship. Amen. I grew up Southern Baptist. But that word in Greek is the word koinonia. Can you say that? Koinonia? Repeat it back to me. Good job. You're all Greek scholars now. Okay, good job. All right. Um, but that literally, literally that word means joint participation in something. So when you see the word fellowship many times in the New Testament, it's not just kind of hanging out. It's participation together. That they were actively participating in gospel community together and gospel mission. It says they devoted themselves to eating together, which we have to imagine that also means they were celebrating the Lord's Supper together, breaking bread. That they devoted themselves to prayer. And what do we see the result here? The result is that all came upon every soul. That wonders and signs are happening here for God's glory. It says they had all things in common, that they sold stuff, right, to make every person, make, to make sure that every person in the community was taken care of. And we have to imagine they were likely giving some of that to the poor as well. I love the description. It says they were glad, they were generous, they praised God together. And at the end of that, what do we see? What's the ultimate result of this? That the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see that gospel community it led to gospel mission, and the same applies today. And the important thing to know is that the book of Acts, it's mainly de descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It describes what's happening at that time. It's not saying that we have to do everything the early church did in the exact way that they did it. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. So it's not saying that you have to sell all your stuff today and give the money to the church. Okay, <laughs> It's not necessarily saying that. Um, but what it, what it is saying here is that we see that it, when the church community is at its best... It's a community that is compelled to live on mission together. When it's at its best, it's a community that's compelled to live on mission together. But we've got to ask the question, like, what mission were they really seeking to live out, and therefore, what mission do we have today? Well, I'm going to give you kind of a, a simple statement that will unpack for the rest of our time today, and it's this, is that the mission of the church is to fulfill the Great Commission while obeying the Great Commandment. Okay, it's to fulfill the Great Commission while obeying the great commandment. To say it another way, we can say the church fulfills its mission by proclaiming the gospel message, but that mission also involves demonstrating the power of the gospel, its proclamation and its demonstration. Let's start with the great commission. So if you want to turn with me to Matthew 28, it's Matthew 28, 16 through 20. If you've been in church very long, you know this, but yet again, gentlemen, this is a football, right? So Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Let's look at this great commission that Christ gave his disciples and he, gave, he gives us today. It says this, Now the eleven disciples 
Remember, Judas is not with them anymore. He says, they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And I love this. But some doubted. So don't feel alone if you doubt sometimes and struggle with this, right? You're not alone. And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we call this the Great Commission. You know, it's the task that Jesus has given his disciples. He gave it to his disciples right before he ascended to heaven. And really, this Great Commission still applies to us today as disciples of Christ. But we've got to look at what it tells us to do. So look at this with me. If you were to look at this in the original language, you'd actually notice that the phrase make disciples is actually the central verb of the text. And in verse 19, that's the hub, and then all the other verbs in it are like little spokes that go out from make disciples. So what we can say from that is that the primary mission of the church, if we want to sum it up, is to, is to make disciples of all nations by going, baptizing, and teaching. That we make disciples of all nations by going, baptizing, and teaching, which means the church is to go to people, both locally and all over the world, to tell them about Christ. If they repent and believe in the gospel, then we baptize them as a display of that belief, and then we teach them what it means to follow Christ, that we don't leave them as kind of spiritual babies and say, hey, have fun, you know, do your best, but we walk with them, right? We walk with them in what it means to follow Christ. We train them up with the ultimate goal being that they become a disciple that makes disciples. And that it's that multiplication idea that really we see the gospel spreading so much around the world is that disciples become disciples who make disciples, and then those disciples make disciples, and it grows from there. So the focus is on making disciples. But we got to be really careful about that phrase, because I know in the church today, that phrase means a lot of things to different people, what it means to make disciples. I think too often in the church, I know in my experience, that we've thought that making disciples simply means you know, going to a church service, you know, maybe inviting people to come to church with us. And that, that's a great thing. We should do that. And worship services are important. But making disciples is not less than that, but it's so much more. And I love the way that Mike Breen, he wrote a book called Building a Discipling Culture. He said this. He said, if you make disciples, you always get the church. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. Now, what does he mean by that? He means that if our definition of making disciples is just getting people to attend a church service, then we're kind of getting discipleship wrong. We're selling it short, right? Church is awesome. Gathering is awesome. I'm glad that we can gather like we, like we are, but it's so much more than that. Because a real church is not just a group of people sitting together in a building and singing songs, as amazing as that is, but a real church is a group of disciples living on mission together. A real church is a group of people seeking to make more disciples of Jesus throughout all of life. And if you start with that definition of church, you're going to get all the things that we usually think about with church, all the good things at least, but you're going to get the focus right. But if you flip it, the focus will be wrong, and it's going to be unhealthy. But even if you look at the Great Commission, Jesus knows, even as he gives us his command, that it's kind of a big and monumental task, right? He knows this is a difficult thing, which is why he promises us two things. Look at verse 18 and 20 specifically. If you see, you can call the Great Commission almost like a sandwich of sorts, to where in verse 18, Jesus tells us that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And then in verse 20, he promises us he'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. So even as we fulfill and seek to fulfill the Great Commission, Jesus promises things that we desperately need. 
He promises his power, and he promises us his presence. And we need both those things, his power and his presence. Because as we seek to be a witness for Christ, we need to know it's his power working through us and nothing we can do. That we can never save anybody. I defined evangelism a couple of weeks ago as one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Right? That we can't save anybody, only the Spirit of, of God working through us, only the power of Jesus can really do that. So when we feel unweak, or when we feel weak or unworthy, we can know that Jesus, who has all authority, is working through us. It's his power working through us to draw people to himself. But then his authority, or sorry, his presence as well. That when we're a witness for Christ, no matter if it's in a car, in a coffee shop, in an office, at home, that we're, when we're a witness for him, that he's there with us. And we don't have to be afraid. I know how intimidating it can be to talk about your faith with people. But honestly, when we share our faith with somebody, we're really only joining in with God and what he's already been doing for who knows how long in their life. That long before we ever have a conversation with somebody about the gospel, God has been working in that person's heart leading up to that conversation. So when we feel alone, when we feel afraid in sharing our faith, we can remember that the power and the presence of Christ is with us. But there's one more thing we got to remember before we move on to more of this, is that as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission, we have to be driven by one very important thing. It's compassion. It's compassion. If you look at Matthew 9, you don't have to look there today, but in Matthew 9 it mentions that at one point Jesus sees a crowd of people. And it says in Matthew 9 that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he turns to his disciples and makes that, that famous statement, right? The, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He makes that famous statement. But the key there is that Jesus was driven by compassion. His mission was driven by compassion. And if you look up that word in the original language, it means it's kind of a gross word. It sounds nasty. I can't pronounce it, so I'm not going to try to. But it really kind of depicts like a deep burden in your gut, you know, it's, it just sounds like a guttural word. It's gross. But like, it's this idea of a deep burden that you have for something. It's compassion. So we got to ask the question, as we seek to live out our mission as Christians and as a church, what are we driven by? And we should be driven by compassion. Do we see people the way that Jesus sees people? Do we see people that we interact with every day, like at work or school or maybe even just at Target, maybe even in your own house, do we see those people the way Christ sees them, as people who are potentially harassed and helplessly lost in sin, who are burdened under the weight of sin, who have no hope for eternity outside of the truth of the gospel? Do we view people that way? I know that that's a hard thing to think about. It can weigh on you. But it's that kind of compassion that Jesus wants to drive us to live on mission. And that's why we've been commissioned to share it with them. So we have to be driven by compassion. But I want to move on to just two other quick texts to kind of walk through some of the story of mission in the New Testament because I think it's really helpful for us. So if you want to, you can flip over to Acts 1.8. We're just going to look at one verse here. You may be able to quote this to me if you've been in church um, long enough. But in Acts 1.8, Jesus gives some more instructions to the disciples on what it looks like to fulfill this great commission. You know, what it looks like to be on mission with him. Acts 1.8, Jesus says this. He's talking to his disciples still. This is literally right before he ascends to the Father. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
So notice kind of in like this sequel, if you will, of the Great Commission, Jesus gets really specific about some stuff, about some strategy. And he tells the disciples they're going to receive power, which comes uh, from the Holy Spirit, which descends on them in the next chapter in Pentecost. He tells them they'll be his witnesses. Then also he tells them they're going to do this witnessing in some specific places. He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if you were to look at a map, those are basically like circles that get bigger and bigger. They start in Jerusalem, which is where they were at at the time, and it begins to work its way out you know, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that tells us a couple of things about our mission. First off, like we already mentioned, we're dependent on the Spirit. We can't save anybody. We're just simply a witness. But also we are a witness that as we share our faith, we're not talking about how good we are, how you know, we kind of figured everything out and God saved us because of how he wanted us on his team or something. Like We're like being chosen number one in kickball. No, it's not that. That we're witnesses simply to how Christ has saved us. That we had nothing to do with it besides simply contributing the sin that we needed to be saved from. That he saved us. We're witnesses to what he's done for us. But then notice that progression there that Christ names. You know, they start with Jerusalem, but then he moves progressively out all the way to the ends of the earth. And one cool thing to think about is like the reason we're even here today as Alberta Baptist Church is because the disciples were faithful to this mission, right? We, we're the ends of the earth, essentially, that he was talking about at that time. They're way away from America. And so the reason we're even here today worshiping is because the disciples are faithful to that mission, but the mission isn't done yet, right? The mission's not done yet. And so that means that the church's mission then is both local, it's national, and it's global. It's local, national, and global. But I would dare say this, is that if, we, if we're not faithful to our mission in our local community, then I think all of our other attempts at mission are going to ring really hollow, ultimately. If we're not faithful locally, then our other attempts outside of that are going to be really hollow. Because here's the thing, if we're not willing to go across the street to our neighbor to share the gospel, you know, to serve them, then why would we think we're being faithful by going across an ocean to share the gospel? Not that that doesn't matter, that's tremendously important. But you see how it can be hollow if we say we're not willing to go across the street, but we'll go across the ocean? It's got to be both. And yes, we have a commission to reach the nations. We are all about getting the gospel to the nations here at ABC. But that commission also calls us to reach people right around us, both here at this church building and in our own daily lives. It calls us to the people around our house, around our jobs, you know, at the gym, and any place that God places you throughout the week. But as we move on uh, to the next bit, I want to point out one more verse in Acts. I think it's really helpful for us. So if you'll flip Acts 1-8 and go to Acts 8-1. <laughs> go to Acts 8-1 real quick. Uh, I think this is really helpful for us in the season that we're in. Before we move on to the Great Commandment, look at Acts 8-1. Acts 8-1 says this. It says, And Saul approved of his, his being Stephen, one of the deacons, servants of the church, approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So if you know the story of Acts, you know that eventually there are seven men that are chosen to serve the church, serve the needs of the church in Jerusalem, because the apostles wanted to devote their time to preaching and to prayer. And one of these guys who's chosen to serve is a man named Stephen. And Stephen is a bold dude, and he begins to preach, he begins to proclaim the gospel boldly, and he's seized, and he's, a, he's eventually killed because of how bold he is in the faith. And he, he becomes the first martyr for Christ, and that martyrdom then leads to a subsequent persecution all throughout Jerusalem, and it scatters the church in Jerusalem. Many of them leave Jerusalem to go to other places. But notice in that passage in Acts 8-1, where do they go? 
when they scatter. They go to Judea and Samaria. Aren't those the places that Jesus mentioned they would go to be witnesses in Acts 1.8? But also notice who doesn't go. Notice who stays. Who stays? The, the apostles, right? So this is interesting that the way that the gospel began to go out from ground zero, from Jerusalem, the way it went to Judea and Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth, it wasn't through paid ministers. It wasn't through paid missionaries, as awesome and as important as those things are. But it was through ordinary Christians, right? Ordinary Christians through circumstances that led them to go somewhere else. And it was through the scattering of the church that the gospel spread the fastest. It was through scattering. And my point is this, is that we haven't been scattered by persecution, right? But we have been scattered in some ways by COVID. <laughs> you know, there's, there's people in this, that aren't in this room, right, that are watching online that would normally be here, that we're not able to do some of the normal programs and small groups and gatherings that we would normally want to do. And it's important for us to be wise and protect the health of our people. And I miss the way things kind of used to be just as much as probably anybody in this room. My, my point is this, is what if we viewed this setback as a church, as really God setting up us for something greater? If we view the setback of COVID and the way we have to kind of change and rethink things, what if you view that as a setup for something greater? What if in our scattering during this time, we saw this not as a time to just rely on church services and church programs, but instead we began to take the Great Commission personally as our personal mission in life? And we began to take up this call to make disciples. It's our personal responsibility. You know, what would that look like? How could our church, even as we gather together, whenever we can gather together and not be concerned about health issues, how much stronger and healthier could we be if every person in this room, every person online, began to say, you know what, like, I've agreed with the Great Commission for a long time, but now I'm going to take it as my personal responsibility to go and make disciples wherever God has placed me. What would that do to our church? How would things look differently? How much stronger could we be? I believe we'd be incredibly stronger, and God would be so glorified in this place. That's the first thing we see is the Great Commission. Let's look at the Great Commandment as well, okay? The Great Commandment. So remember, like we said, the mission of the church is to fulfill the Great Commission while obeying the Great Commandment. They fit together. But what is the Great Commandment? Well, if you want to turn to Matthew 22, we're going to look at that. It's Matthew 22. This is the last of your Bible drill for today, okay? Um, this is Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus defines the great commandment in this text, and this text is actually him responding to a Pharisee, a Pharisee who asked him, hey, what's the most important commandment in the law? What's the important law that God gave his people? And this is how Jesus responds in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. And he said to him, him the Pharisee, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Oh, this blows my mind. I remember being a college student and reading that and really getting it for the first time, that all the law depends on those two things. It's incredible. But if you boil down that statement, really Jesus says this, the great commandment is really pretty simple. Right? It's to love God and love people. It's to love God and love people. And how do we love God? Well, Jesus tells us we love God by loving him with all our heart, mind, and soul. So everything we got, we love him with. But also, if you look at John 14, Jesus tells us in John 14 that if we love him, we're going to obey him, that we're going to obey his commandments. So our obedience to Christ is a direct reflection of our love for him and therefore our love for God. 
So really to obey the great commandment to love God, we have to obey all that he's commanded us, which includes the great commission. So the great commandment and commission are even uh, attached in that way. But also notice the second part of that, that the great commandment also includes loving people. And specifically, Jesus says here, loving our neighbor as ourself. And how did Jesus define our neighbor? It's not just the person we live across the street from, not the person in the apartment beside us, right? Jesus defined our neighbor in the parable of the Good Samaritan as any person in need, right? That our neighbor is any person in need, even our enemies, as the Samaritan would teach us with him there in that story. So Jesus ties loving God and loving our neighbor together to where he says this, you can't say you really love God if you don't truly love your neighbor. The book of 1 John makes that very clear, that loving God and loving our neighbor are so tied together. And just consider the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus spent tons of time devoting himself to healing the sick, to casting out demons, to meeting physical needs. But also think about what did, how did Jesus define his mission here? Did he come and say, my mission is to, to heal every person in Jerusalem, to heal every person in Israel? No. He said his mission was to come and seek and save the lost. Right? His mission was not ultimately to heal everybody, but to seek and save the lost. But while his mission was to save sinners, his love for those sinners compelled him to serve them and meet their physical needs. And in, in doing so, he was really giving them a foretaste of, of the kingdom of God, a kingdom where there is no more need, where there is no more disease. But the point I'm trying to make here is this, is that while the church's mission is absolutely to make disciples, we're not going to be able to be in full obedience to God as a church if we don't also seek to love our neighbor as we go and make disciples. They go together. We can't truly love people if we don't share the gospel with them. That would be a hollow love, right? It wouldn't be focusing on their eternal need. But we also show people an incomplete view of God's love if we only share the gospel with them and don't demonstrate we also care about their lives right now and show how God loves them where they're at right now. Because the gospel good news is not just a good news that says you're forgiven of your sin and you go to heaven. It's absolutely that. But the gospel is also a good news, like we've talked about, that God is working in creation to make all things new. That one day Christ will return and there will not be any more sickness. There'll be no more poverty. There'll be no more abuse. There'll be no more racism. All those things will be eradicated. And while the church is not going to be able to eradicate all those things, that's not our job and only Jesus will do that one day, we have the opportunity right now to love people and show them the love of God as we fight against those things, as we love our neighbor as ourselves. Because honestly, the world is going to have a really hard time believing this gospel good news if we don't show, show them that the good news is good news for their soul, but also there's a God that loves them in their body right now. It's not just good news for their soul, but God also cares about the needs of their body right now. So it goes together. But the question you may be asking is, Kyle, like, there's a lot of needs in the world. Like, I got on Facebook this morning and saw like 20 things I should be like really, you know, like passionate about and like be supporting all this kind of stuff. Like, there's a lot of need in the world. How could I ever, as a person, meet all the need, let alone how could our church, you know, ever meet all these needs, you know? And there are so many important needs in the world and ways that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. There's things like fighting poverty, both in our country and around the world. There's things like uh, serving people who have suffered from disasters like the hurricane in Louisiana and Texas. There's caring for orphans through adoption and foster care. There's fighting for the rights of unborn babies. There's fighting against sex trafficking. There's fighting against racial injustice. There's all kinds of things. And as I listed those, some people in this room were like, yes, like, that's my thing. Like, thank you for saying that from the pulpit. 
And someone else in here is upset because I didn't say the thing you wanted me to say. Like I didn't, I didn't put in my list the thing you wanted to be in there. And here's the thing. All those things I mentioned matter to the heart of God. All those things are things he cares deeply about. They're things he wants the church to be deeply involved in. They're part of obeying the great commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But no church can do all of those things. But in this, po- in this moment, it's important for us to remember really what the church actually is. There's two definitions of the church. You have the capital C church, and you have the lowercase c church. The capital C church is the universal church. It's the, the collective of believers all over the planet. It's every Christian on the earth. But then there's the local church like us, an Alberta Baptist church. And the universal church absolutely has the call to be at work in all those areas we mentioned and more. The universal church has the call to be at work in those areas. But here's the thing. Local churches are local for a reason, right? We're local for a reason. That God has placed us in a certain area with certain needs so we can make a difference where we're at. And as we have opportunity and as we have awareness, we can even extend the way that we serve past our community and all around the world. And we do that and we will continue to do that. But even in the local church, there are specific people and groups of people who have various passions, who want to be advocates for certain causes. And we as a church, we want to empower those people to lead us into those areas and lead us into those causes with the gospel. But the thing is, our goal as a church and as local churches is to be faithful to the opportunities that God gives us and to be sensitive in the ways that he leads us. All right, Because as we seek to love our neighbor, both our local neighbor and our global neighbor, We have to remember that while we're called to do those things, our ultimate and primary mission in the world is to make disciples. To make disciples. That we're sadly not going to be able to rid the world of all suffering, but we're called to make a difference where we can. But we do all these things knowing that we serve a Savior who is in the process of making all things new. And we proclaim a gospel of a God that cares immensely about people that are suffering, so much that God himself came and suffered for us so that he could know suffering and he could remove eternal suffering from us. That our God cares about suffering. He experiences it. He sees people in their suffering. He loves them and cares about them. He wants the church to meet them in that. And he wants the church to come and love and serve them as a picture of his love for them. But we had to keep those two things, fulfilling the Great Commission and loving our neighbor, hand in hand together. So as we close out today, I want to kind of sum up our time with this one statement. I heard it at a conference a couple years ago, and it's really stuck with me for years since then. It's this statement. God didn't give the church a mission. He gave the mission a church. He didn't give the church a mission. He gave the mission a church. Think about that. What that means is this, is that everything we do as a church should be shaped by and founded on our mission. Our mission to go and make disciples as we love our neighbor as ourselves. Everything we do is shaped on that. That doesn't mean that we don't care tremendously about our community, because as we've seen, like, The stronger a gospel community, the stronger the gospel mission. And the way that we love each other, like Jared mentioned last week, is a strong and clear picture to the world of of the love of Christ. But as a church, we exist ultimately for the mission of God. That's why we exist, to fulfill the Great Commission while obeying the Great Commandment. So I want to encourage us today, as individuals and as a church, in this time of transition, let's lean into that mission. Let's ask God, God, where are you leading us? What do you want to do in my life? And what do you want to do in the life of our church? Because this is why we exist. This is what we're called to do. Right? We haven't just been given a mission, but mission really is what, is what defines us as a church. So let's lean into that and ask God what he wants to do. Let's pray together.
Father, we love you. We thank you for, gosh, Lord, the, the fact that you have given us this mission, Lord, that we are imperfect, broken sinners that have been saved by your grace, but yet you have given uh, the, the task of getting the gospel to the world to, to us. Lord, there is no plan B, that we are plan A for getting the gospel to the world. So I pray today, Father, that I know many of these things are familiar for many of us, myself included, and I pray that you would remind all of our hearts today of the reason we exist, the reason that even as a Christian we are still on this earth is because we exist to go and make disciples, Lord, all the while loving those you place around us, Father. So Lord, give us wisdom, or give our church wisdom. Lord, may we, may we be a church marked by our love for people and a love that compels us to share the gospel in every way we can. And we thank you for today. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.